And today we're talking all about the relationship with yourself, which I know you talk so openly to um, all of your followers about. Um, so how has your relationship with yourself changed over time? So dramatically, like I can't explain. I think the main switch was a large section of, let's say when I was a teenager, it was very outward. I was people pleasing. I was dressing for other people. I was mm. changing my body for other people. Everything was so externally driven, everything. So my sense of self was really lost because I was doing nothing essentially for myself. And then going into where I am now, I am my number one priority. And in not a typical selfish way that parents like to say like, oh, you're being selfish. Mm -hmm. But yes, I am my number one priority and everything goes inward. I listen to my intuition. I listen to how am I doing? What does this situation feel like for me? Does this person feel good? Does this relationship feel good? Mm -hmm. And I don't have to say yes to everybody. I can have a voice. So it has dramatically changed. And I like, I'm so glad that this is the topic of today because I think it's literally the number one thing. When you have that sense of self and you're so aligned with it, does your mental health improve? Yeah, it's it's incredible to hear how far I guess your journey has gone because um, it resonates so much initially when you've not even got that concept of that you, it can come out in lots of different ways like you were saying 100% and um, I'll remember for myself when I was in a work environment that was quite focused on how you looked or stereotypes of how you looked that was a lot of where my identity went into maybe what size I was how I looked hair color all that kind of thing um, and hearing how you've gone along with your journey in this it I think a lot of people will probably resonate from where you know where do you even start you know if you if you don't know where do you even begin with that relationship with yourself yeah completely and for me it did come out in so many different ways mm -hmm. and I was so unaware yeah you're so unaware at the time that you don't have a sense of self and that your that your mental health is bad you you just you know, even if you have depression, you don't really know what's going on, what's triggering it, what all that stuff. I went through an eating disorder, anxiety, so much stuff. And I really feel that you have to go into, really into the bad days, into the bad weeks and months and years. So when you come out of it, are you able to reflect? And that's, it's almost like, the beauty and not the beauty of it because you can gain advice 100%. Yeah. But you really have to let yourself go into your bad day and learn it for yourself. Yeah. Which I think is is something that I really clocked on because sometimes I give myself a harsh time because, oh, I should have known this when I was younger. Well, I couldn't have. Yeah. And to know that we're always trying our best is so important. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that is such an important point, that kind of meeting and accepting yourself for where you are because what you were saying before really resonated with me for you saying you've got to be able to, I guess, go into those dark days because something that's come up on this topic before is the idea that it can be quite scary to sit with yourself or it can be quite scary to <gasps> wow. have a relationship with yourself. 100%. That was me for so many yeah. years. So I guess 
where that brings us on to is, um, has there been a time where you feel like you abandoned your relationship with yourself? Yeah, I have had years of, if I look back at it now where I am now, I would say you abandoned yourself, but the true, true, I say lowest moments, I would say just before I went into recovery for an eating disorder, mm-hmm. I, I can't even explain the level of distraction that I had to put myself through so that I couldn't sit with myself. Like I couldn't even have two seconds of myself. And if we're going in really deep, there was, yeah, this whole one month, maybe six weeks before I went into recovery, wake up thinking about food, body, Mm. weigh yourself, don't eat. Okay, you ate one egg, Um, binge, then go throw up. Mm. Oh, then go out, socialize because you can't have a moment by yourself. So then socialize on no food, come back. Oh, you're hungry, so you eat, then you binge. Then you throw up in the toilet, but don't let your... Don't let your people here. Yeah. And it would happen three, four times a day. And you can, and now I look back and I'm almost heartbroken because I'm like, what that girl was going through yeah. to just not be able to sit with herself and constantly having to suppress with food in the binging way of yeah. putting so much down that I couldn't even, that I could literally feel my heartbeat pumping out, you know, just pushing it so much yeah. down and then couldn't contain it all and had to purge and let it all out and release that pressure and do it again and Mm. again to my physical body I think that was one of my lowest abandonment like there was not a second of how are you doing today everything triggered me and at this point it was actually so hard because this was actually my rising point in my social media career I was growing by 30,000 followers a month. And this was like the the sixth month point, I think, or the fifth month point. I was earning the most money I Mm. had ever seen in that month. Yet my my head was down the toilet most of the days. I was growing so much. I was getting millions and millions of views because my body was stereotypically the bikini body everybody wanted. I made the most sales on anything that I was promoting because everyone would listen to me because Mm. I had this body that people wanted and I had no idea what was happening I had people in my dms you know now and then being like um what are you doing like this is really dangerous because I was giving weight loss advice because I put my happiness on that and it did come from a genuine place like I genuinely thought I was helping people back then because all I knew was if you lose weight you'll then be happy yeah so and and I was always trying to keep losing weight yeah. so I was always doing the low calorie meals and trying to give out that advice yeah. to genuinely help people but I did not know better and I actually had to work on this through therapy because I held a lot of guilt as you can imagine telling yeah. thousands of young girls that oh eat this to lose weight and then realizing you know then I went into recovery and realized oh my gosh this is the complete opposite this is the opposite of what people need to hear to make themselves feel happy and yeah, through therapy, was I able to work through that? But it it was a very odd time growing, earning, but then mentally doing so bad. Yeah. And I imagine as well, so many listeners, again, would connect with what you've been through, but also can't imagine what the added element of it being so public does yeah. <laughs> as well. Um, for Mental Health Awareness Week in 2019, we focused on body image and quite a lot of the people that we spoke about um, spoke about what social media can do and 
feeling so seen yes. all the time. And did that kind of add to it? For Definitely. You? I I think what we need to know is our mental health should be our priority. And I I think I did it in a place of fear to start with. But mm-hmm. the day that I went into recovery, I put on my social media, I will not be on here for weeks. And yeah. I ended up having six weeks off. In fact, my phone was in the drawer. I was actually so afraid for people to see. I put on all my weight and more mm-hmm. that I had lost for so long in three weeks. Yeah. So to not like yourself in one skinny body, Yeah. to then put on all the weight yeah. and then, you know, just because you put on the weight does not mean you are okay with yourself. Yeah. Yes, it's a crucial part of recovery, but it's not an indicator, which is why you can't just look at slim people and say, oh, I'm worried for you. And then slightly bigger people, you don't have that question because yeah. it has no correlation mm-hmm. to what's going on in the mind. So yeah, I went into this hibernation mode. I wore the baggiest clothes so nobody could see. Yeah. I completely came off social media so nobody had to see my body. And then it came to a point of me having to accept, okay, this is a new body. And then it was actually a pressure of social media is my job. I have contracts. Yeah. I have monthly deliverables that this is my income. Yeah. And this is, and I also had a massive fear of if I didn't post, I would lose my followings, which I did slightly. Yeah. And that was a whole nother journey and not attaching myself worth to followers. And what happened, I guess, is I have slowly been through a journey of different ways of showing my body on social media. And at the beginning, I wore baggy clothes for a year. So I didn't almost, I didn't want people to judge my body because I had knew that everyone was looking so closely. You know, I went from one body and they're like, what's going on now? What does she look like now? And so I had covered it up quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And then going into, I would actually say this summer, Mm -hmm. only this summer, that's a year and a half. And I had stages where I did show my body more, normally in summer when I felt more confident but it was only until I've done the real therapy work, the heavy, hardcore stuff, the self-love stuff, yeah. am I able to be unapologetically myself? I don't mind if my stomach rolls here and there. Yeah. I don't mind if my arms don't look like what I thought they should look like, mm-hmm. or my legs, or my butt, or my cellulite. And knowing that I don't have to show my body to social media, but knowing I don't have to hide and finding that balance of posting when I want to. Yeah. And that's where I found the balance. And that really um, resonates with me with some of our advice that we had from when we did Body Image as the topic for Mental Health Awareness Week, because it was to do with that relationship with social media and that idea of agency and um, choice. So taking those moments, what are you seeing and how do you feel? Yeah. Um, what are you doing on that? And how does that make you feel? And that kind of, I guess, social media encourages us to be slightly mindless sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's remembering that, you know, take that deep breath, think about your choice and how you can use it and then find a way to use it that feels empowering for you, which sounds like exactly yeah, what I you've done. Definitely also have learned throughout my social media journey. I am always taking videos and pictures. Yeah. But I would say the last three months I have learned so much about myself and even the smallest things I know lots of girls make TikToks I'm a TikToker you know (laughs) when you set your phone up and you take a video and you're dancing and then you you stop it and you look back at it you go no not good enough and you take another one and you do that 10 times by the end of it and this is my experience by the way by the end of it 
Am I in a freeze mode and I'm anxious and I can't get off my phone for the next two hours? And you wonder why. And it's because you've just judged your authentic self. That first try was you just being you. And then you judge yourself, not once, not twice, but 10 times, even four times. It's enough for your inner child to not feel good enough and you don't realize, so I am so careful now what yeah. I what I video because even uh, when I was in Bali like three weeks ago, two weeks ago even, I really learned recently that dancing helps me regulate. Moving my body yeah. in a very intuitive way helps me regulate. Yeah. And I set up my phone because I thought, well, oh, this would be great content to yeah. show people that I'm dancing fun. I recorded it. I had a look and I go, mm, not good enough. And I recorded it again. I was then stuck in bed for six hours and I hadn't realized what I'd done until later that day did I kind of assess what triggered me. And I was like, I was actually intuitively dancing, authentically being me. And I looked at the video and I said, not good enough. And I've learned now, I do not take videos of me dancing when I am trying to regulate myself, when it's a very private thing. So I think what I'm trying to say is, in those really private moments, do you have to film and take pictures of yourself? Yeah. Do you have to? Even when you're in a bikini, why yeah. is it a society, like a standard that you have to get bikini photos on holidays? Yeah. Since when? <laughs> and that's, I, I kid you not, I think that's why we feel so much pressure. It's not because we're at the beach with a load of random people. Yeah. It's because we feel like we have to get bikini pictures to post because it's summertime. And like, if you don't, you know, if you post bikini pictures, then you're cool. And like, yeah. you've got a good body and that's, I went to Bali and I did not post a single bikini picture and nothing bad happened to me. Nobody didn't think I had any, like it didn't matter. And to be very, almost more careful of what you take pictures of because otherwise you're taking pictures to judge yourself. And it just, that really like tunes into a moment I had this summer where I was um, on holiday with two girlfriends and it was like my first holiday with friends in so long because I'd been in debt for a while and I was celebrating getting control of my life in a little bit and one of them loves social so she was just like taking pictures all the time and all of her joy and capturing it and because we'd created a safe friendship where we can talk about mental health and we can talk about ourselves one of my friends just said guys I'm really struggling I'm feeling like I'm kind of under surveillance. Um, I'm really struggling with how on show I am. Can we just take a break? And because it was a safe place, we were just like, yeah, totally fine and able to. But it was amazing that she felt safe enough to do that. She felt like she'd worked on a relationship with herself enough to be able to say to us, guys, this is crossing my boundaries. That's honestly amazing. That is incredible to be able to say that because that's having your own back that's yeah. like saying look I and you, that's absolutely okay like I I've been in similar positions and it's funny because when I'm with let's say a new group of friends people assume that I'm the one that wants the most videos and pictures because it's my job yeah when I hang out with people my phone is in the bag yeah. I'm not because my job is on it I don't want to be on it I don't yeah. really want pictures like I can get them elsewhere like I don't really want to post for pictures either if there's a natural video that's great but it's interesting because suddenly do I feel under pressure because everyone's got their phones out and I'm like oh my gosh I actually quite enjoy private time (laughs) like I enjoy being in the moment (laughs) so yeah it's very interesting exactly and it's nice to be able to feel you can choose that sometimes um and there was just one other thing that you said that I wanted to um pick up on before we move to the the next um topic but um I think I really really connected with you talking about seeing that past version of yourself that was in a real low and just wanting to 
I guess, just nurture them and look after them. And I think that's something that I definitely experienced um, with my similar journey with, you know, that um, identity and success being um, down to weight and hair colour and all of that kind of thing. Um, And I want to, because I've done so much work through therapy, it was such a beautiful process going through in like, feeling like I was helping that version, feeling like I was helping her to heal, helping her to become more empowered, but telling her that it's okay what she went through. So like you said, that kind of shame and not judging, saying you were doing the best you could at the time to keep yourself safe. And the way you it came out in your behavior might not have helped you, but kind of well done for still trying. And I'm here now to help you feel safer in who you are. And I think that's just really, really a beautiful thing that you've been able to work through that and continue to do that as well. Um, And I think hopefully a lot of listeners would feel a lot of inspiration from what you've done. Yeah, definitely. And to know that it applies to every version of yourself, not just the low, low moments, but the middle moments. Like I had periods where I had bleach blonde, like literally six months ago, I had bleach blonde hair, wore fake eyelashes, had to fake tan every day. Do I bully her now and say, oh my gosh, why did you do that? That's so weird. Not weird, but that's so ugly and like you looked so bad. No. Yeah. Because she was trying really hard. And there were times where I put beads in my hair and there were times (laughs) where like I had so many different little phases Yeah. and I don't judge any of them because they were all trying, Yeah. all trying. And I think the aim of all of this is to become as aligned with your authentic self. Mm -hmm. So me having the blonde hair and lashes was not me. I am a very natural person. I've never liked makeup. I don't want to wear it. Like that, you know, I don't really care. But I had kind of learned through societal things of like the more beauty appointments you have, the better you'll feel. Like if you get your nails done every week, your hair done, your lashes done, Mm -hmm. you get your fake tan, get some bed, you get that, then it will boost you. And I had learned that. And as soon as I took that decision to stop, you feel better when you're aligned with your authentic self. And that goes to every aspect and not just your physical appearance, whether that's, you know what? I don't want to sit at a pub and drink with my boyfriend's friends. But what I will do is if I'm invited to a club and I can dance, how yeah, yeah will I be out? And it's about aligning with yourself. What do yeah. you like to do? And yeah. you don't have to do the other stuff. Yeah. And the more things you line up, just overall better you feel yeah definitely it's I think it's a really incredible thing as well when people do that and some people might question it because the norm is to go the other way yeah and then I think when they think about why there's no reason why apart from we're just told to Mm. so it's really nice to unpick all of those things so you've spoken a lot about what happened before you kind of went into recovery and how it was kind of coming out but could you go into that in a little bit more detail of what did it look like or does it look like still sometimes to to be detached from your relationship with yourself? I think for me, there is, it's distraction. When I notice I'm distracting myself is where I know that I'm disconnecting from myself. So before it would be weeks, months of distraction every day, whether that was over-exercising, whether that was toxic productivity, whether that was scrolling on my phone all day, Mm -hmm. it would be very large moments of time. They still happen, but 10 minutes, an hour, sometimes four hours. But the difference is, is I'm able to notice. So like, let's give a real raw example. Last night, I was slightly triggered into something and 
I didn't realize at the time, but I started scrolling on my phone. Mm-hmm. And it was about two and a half hours later. And it's when you're, you're not scrolling for fun, but like you're scrolling and you can't stop. Mm-hmm. And I call it autopilot scroll. Yeah. That's what I name it. I don't yeah. know whether it's a proper thing. <laughs> and for me, it's a really big indication that I'm not connected with myself. And it's really, this is like one of the things I've really learned. It's really hard to get off. And mm-hmm. sometimes all I can do is literally turn my phone off and just not even move. In that moment, try to take a deep breath or try to like autopilot go into the bathroom or just move your state, maybe try put some music on. But that state of distraction is a really big indication that I'm disconnecting with myself. There's, I think we'll talk about it later, but there's so many ways that you can connect back with yourself. And that is the difference in whether it lasts a week or whether it lasts an hour. And it's, I'm just thinking that I'm sure so many people are listening to, th- to this thinking, oh, I'm doing this right now. And uh, yeah. I I did this a couple of hours ago or it lasts for six hours. And um, they might be, I guess, judging themselves. And is there anything in terms of what you do? You were saying it happens for less amounts of time now, but are you also a bit kinder to yourself for it having happened as well? Most definitely. And this is what I wanted to talk about yeah. next. The resistance to let yourself feel down is the exact thing that keeps you in that stuck position. Mm -hmm. And I, when I was in Bali, I had two weeks of being by myself because the rest I was with my boyfriend, then he left earlier and I was by myself and I had to learn how to get myself out of that place. And in this time in Bali, did I really, really have to be really kind to myself? (laughs) because even if, so there were days where I was like, right, I'm going to go explore. I'm going to have fun. It's that expectation we put on ourselves. We're on a travel holiday. We've got to go out. And then I would spend six days, not six days, six hours in the middle of the day in bed. And I was beating myself up. I was like, oh, after one hour, why have you wasted an hour? Two hours, why are you wasting two hours? You should be outside in the sun, three hours. And then at hour six was I like, okay, I surrender. I don't judge myself. Yeah. This is what's happened. And you're allowed the whole day in bed. When you give yourself permission, full permission, are you able to breathe and able to like do the next steps in a loving way? Yeah. But when you come towards yourself with anger at these moments of scrolling, just know that this is your body trying to keep you safe. These these distraction methods you have, like if you're scrolling right now, or obviously you're listening, but or you just have, or you're you're going to Just know that this is your body trying their absolute best because you've probably just heard something that really triggered you. You've just gone through something or there's an underlying thing of the week that's coming up that you haven't recognized. And this is your body just trying to keep you safe. So love the fact that your body's doing that, but then turn up for your body even more. And right, sometimes all you have to do, because your phone's already in your hand, press the volume and the off button and switch your phone fully off. Yeah. And then that just kind of takes that phone away. Yeah. Even if you lie in bed for the next hour, it doesn't matter. But yeah. it's just about those tiny, t- like, I mean, I know what it's like when you cannot get out of bed. And sometimes all I can do is, I can't even tell myself to get up. All I can do is tell myself, lie on the bed, but without your phone, just hug yourself. Yeah. And hugging myself, really weird. Never used to be able to do it. When you just wrap your arms around yourself and you lie on your bed, are you able to slowly regulate yourself? Yeah. And it's just... um like listeners can't see, but there's a big smile on my face now. And it's, <laughs> it's 
like of course that's a really horrible experience to have but I really connect with when you're kind to yourself with it so because I've got um, mixed diagnosis and um, there's CPTSD in it as well yeah my body can go into flop it can just trauma response it can just yeah, it same. just it just does it and it checks out yeah. and I've got such an ability now to like I'll be lying in bed and my head will be like legs move come on yeah. let's give it a shot you can't do it let's give it a shot <laughs> and then it'll be an hour later and I'm like oh like still can't move so instead I'll be quite kind and sometimes I'll even like be like okay like it's a um a, a duvet fort day that's yeah. what we're going for yeah. and I'll text my partner and be like bring me some cookies <laughs> like, just be like legs do you need anything else yeah. do you want a little massage exactly. do you want a bath like serving the part that can't do yeah. it yeah and like you said especially if it's doing it because you've either experienced something difficult and it's remembering that like the last thing it needs is punishing like that kind of just kindness and like okay you know mind and body when we're ready I'll get moving but for now I guess you know this is where we are and um and before we move on to hearing more great things about what's helped you um I guess I'd just like to talk a little bit more about we've spoken about how I guess the behavior comes out when you're feeling more detached but um kind of what happens to your mental health, what happens to your your feelings as well when you are um, feeling less connected to you, um, what goes on, I guess, in the body and the mind as well? I guess it's just that overall, I'd say bad, like yeah. bad mental health, like just no motivation. And my, the first thing that happens is I start, critiquing my work so for me it used to be my body so if mm. I had a bad mental health day would I start being like oh you're you're bigger or you've put on weight let's reduce mm. and then it changes into different things so now it's my like it's my work which is very interesting now because I know that I don't actually put thought into that thought yeah so although it comes up into my brain you haven't posted this month your companies are going to drop you yeah, you're yeah. losing followers like I don't give those thoughts recognition yeah. because I know I'm struggling. Yeah. So yes, they still come in. Yeah. But it's just giving that little bit of space between it. Yeah. That general gloom, I would say. Yeah. Kind of when that cloud appears yes. and everything gets a little bit darker. Yeah. And um, so you've spoken about kindness and how much that's helped. But is there anything else that you'd love to, I guess, share that, um has genuinely helped you something you did something I guess you said to yourself that's really helped you when you're feeling less connected and everything feels that little bit gloomy yeah definitely so the first initial initial thing when I think back to my lowest darkest days was accepting you needed help and that you had to surrender to recover and then reaching out because when you reach out you make it a public even if it's just your mum or or a therapist or a doctor you're making it you're announcing it to the world, yeah, you know what, I need help. And then and then you can have people to assist you because the first steps are so hard. You have someone to hold you accountable and be like, come on, let's let's go do this. Or not in a way of to get you up and get going, but let's take the first steps because you don't always know the first steps to getting better. The thing that has helped me the absolute most in this journey, which I think everybody needs, is therapy. Mm. We act so much from our hurt inner child that when we go back and we go into therapy and we understand what actually caused us to struggle and why we do certain things, why we people please, why we can't speak up and why we avoid conflict and why we feel we need to change our body, 
we're able to notice it and pull the two situations apart. Okay, this present moment of my job situation has actually got less anxiety and stress attached to it and a lot more attached to when I felt pressured by my parents. So you're able to split it up and then, yeah, so I just feel like therapy is such an amazing thing. And I think one thing to understand is if you're struggling mentally, you most likely need therapy even if you haven't been through a quote-unquote traumatic thing. And I think so many people think I've... I've spoken to some of my followers and they're like, but I haven't had, my parents are still together and we have money and like I lived in a big house. I'm like, that doesn't matter. A child feels the way they need to feel. Like if you felt abandoned as a child, if your mom walked out while you were crying, that's how you felt. It doesn't matter if you didn't have a death of a parent. And I guess that's hard to get through sometimes because most of the people that are speaking about mental health have been through a lot. Like for example, me, like rejection from my father then lost my father at 17 sexual abuse there's been lots of different things so yes quote unquote I have that complex PTSD and I'm able to share a lot of the things that help me but for the people that don't feel like they've had anything wrong with them in their childhood if you're struggling if you've gone through an eating disorder if you have depression if you just have a lack of self-worth therapy will help you yeah and and it's like the best I think it's money I think it's the best form of money because when you fix I'm not going to say fix that's the wrong word when you help your mental health and your self-worth do you help everything else in your life your job will go better because you're more creative and in line with your intuition and more excited and motivated your eating and exercise will be better because it'll be more intuitive and what you like to do and what you like to eat and less of like a strict diet thing so I just think therapy helps all aspects of your life. And I can, I would say it's the thing that got me to this very balanced current place I'm in. Yeah. And I, I think it's the thing that I think a lot of listeners will connect with as well is that, um, that feeling of, I don't have the right to show up and share. I don't have the right to talk about what's going on with me. Um, I don't have the right to, because people have got it worse. Um, and it's kind of that judgment of like a, hierarchy of of um needs in the sense of someone needs it more than someone else and i think what a lot of people have said is when people have shared their stories or we've interviewed different people is once they opened up they actually realized that maybe they're friends or lots of other people who were in similar circumstances or different circumstances had also been struggling with their mental health at different points and like you said if we could invest in our mental health in the same way that we intuitively not necessarily intuitively because we can really disconnect with our body but looking after your physical health is spoken about a lot more across lots of different areas of society whereas looking after your mental health is not necessarily spoken about as much as you know me myself who talks about it all the time might think and there are a lot of people that like you said even if you just reach out with someone you trust, right? Someone you trust, family member, friends, healthcare professional, um, a helpline. You, everyone deserves support. Everyone's mental health matters. And it, it's about you. So it's not about what this person has experienced. It's not about what this other person has gone through. It's about you, your inner world, what's going on. You deserve to talk about that you shouldn't have to live and feel the way you do alone. Um, And I think that's what I really connect with when you were saying just reach out. And then that difference of what investing in yourself has done for you 
and how much more that's given you um, is such a great example of why it's so worthwhile. Yeah, most definitely. And best investment. And also what triggered a little thought in my head there when, you know, there also will be a period where you don't know that your mental health is bad. Like if I go back to my 14, 15, 16 year old self, I wouldn't say that my mental health was bad. Yes, at 17 did I crash and had depression, but like before that, a lot of stuff happened and I couldn't say no to guys. I couldn't speak up. I couldn't talk to my dad about anything confrontational. It's like the teenagers that vape these days. They won't say they've got anything bad of their mental health, but they're suppressing something every second. They're inhaling something every second to not feel something. So a lot of the time you actually don't know until, yeah, you say, I almost am talking to the, I would say school and university when they're very much surrounded by people in their similar groups and you don't think anything's wrong with you guys. But you're all like, oh, this is so bad. You know what I mean? They're just yeah. going around with this gloom. They have no idea that their mental health is bad. Yeah. But if you just said to your friend, do you not think it's a bit weird how, like, we can't go two minutes without our vape? Do you not think it's a bit weird how we, like, I don't know. I, I can't even think of an example right now. But there's just that, that there's little things that you don't realize yeah. that you're doing because it isn't. But to also... No, there's nothing wrong with that because this is the journey of life. Yeah. When you come out of those school and university, are you able to be more aware of your own space? And, oh, God, I, I don't like my own space. Yeah. And then that's where these things will come out. So, yeah. again, it is just a journey of life. And I think yeah. all of us teenagers go through that. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. And um, that reminds me of something else that um, the young people that we spoke to said, which is about kind of starting can just be just noticing you. So it might be that the you right now is judging everyone else and yourself. Just begin with just being like, okay. Noticing is the way to go. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, like you don't have to know everything straight away. You don't have to understand everything about mental health straight away. You can use language that works for you. And you can kind of, like you said, take it step by step by step. And um, I think that brings me to if listeners are kind of feeling more in that disconnected and um, kind of not not feeling that great about the relationship with themselves, um, what, what would it feel like for them how could they recognize when the relationship with themselves is better so what what does it feel like to you when you are fully connected to you I feel like this is such a lovely question because I've done almost like two years of let's say the work on yourself Mm -hmm. the last six months no I'd say four months and then the last month was like exponential growth that mm-hmm. I'm now at this point where like I'm so ready to answer this question and the first thing is being able to love the present moment mm-hmm. I walk down to my local coffee shop with my headphones on listening to music literally dancing through the street not caring what other people think and those moments of bliss it is what it's all about mm-hmm. these moments of going somewhere or, or doing nothing like being able to just lie down and rest, being able to romanticize moments is something like I used to try to get through my days. Now I'm ready for my day. I want to just be in the day. I'm not trying to think about next month or think about what's, I'm like, I'm so ready to be in the present now, which something I definitely couldn't used to do. Um, So that's one thing. The second thing is being able to notice my triggers and regulate Mm -hmm. myself out of it. One thing that was one of my things was I couldn't regulate myself. So if people don't know what regulation means, when you're in a 
triggered state, whether that's anxious, whether that's um, distracting yourself, whatever, that's a dysregulated state. And to get yourself out of that, regulating are forms of deep breaths. For me, dancing, um, for me, listening to music, shaking your body, having a shower, Mm. doing yoga, like there's lots of different ways. And those Mm. things bring us back to our self. And I've, that's one of the things it's like, you still get moments of these bad-ish times we like to call it, whether you're lying in bed, whether you're frustrated with yourself, whether you're angry, like you don't feel amazingly 100% happy, which is normal, is to be able to notice when I'm in that state, get myself out of it, Mm -hmm. then assess what triggered me into it, kind of almost do like a mini healing session of like, okay, what do you need to do next time? Did you not speak up about something to your housemate? Right. You, you are actually not even next time because next time's not even a thing. Why don't you go up to them now and have a conversation with your housemate? So it's like those things. And as I was saying about regulation, I used to rely on other people to do that. So when I was living at home, if I couldn't go to sleep or if I was anxious, my mom would come and stroke my head and put me to sleep yeah. and do that. And then what was interesting was whenever I've had a boyfriend, they are my go-to regulation like oh I won't sort out my own stuff I won't soothe myself I won't take deep breaths I won't have a shower I'll just go hug them so I relied on other people to do it and then when I didn't have a boyfriend was I relying on food exercise sometimes smoking like like different things that I'm not necessarily proud of but like it's okay because we had to go through that and now being in a position it's so beautiful to be able to do that to myself to have my own back to know that I'm not afraid of going into the bad days anymore yeah to the bad moments yeah I don't even think it's bad but it's a very good way to explain it but like I'm not scared going in there because I know how to get myself out of there myself (laughs) and I think it's so lovely as well because those kind of um toolkits that um through like you said taking the time to work on yourself, whether it's through therapy, whatever version that is for our listeners. Um, What brings other people back could be different too. So there'll be similarities and differences. And through talking about this, we can all inspire each other because there are those things that can ground someone and like in the way that you're talking about, which means bringing back to the present and being able to enjoy the moment. And for some people, it might be gardening. For some people, it might be a walk for some people it might be playing with their pet it might be cooking and smelling you know the spices and things like that and like you said it's amazing once you've got that because like you said you don't have to use the old methods that you did 100 you can say oh okay i accept that that was felt a bit crap i can accept that that's i'm not maybe feeling that connected with myself like you said deep breathe and pull on one of those yeah. which is such a joy to be able to do that for yourself yeah you you suddenly feel like you're the adult to your inner child yeah you're supplying the support that you used to need and something that my therapist made me do was get a piece of paper and say safe list and you write down the things that no help you but also you can write other stuff there just for suggestions because yeah. every time you need something different sometimes I'm in a triggered state but I need to like 
put on some loud music and like dance yeah like ferociously like <laughs> really like whether it's angry whether it's like hip hoppy. Yeah, yeah. and then other times do I need to lie on the floor with meditated music so it's like writing a list yeah. of things so when you are in that distracted state you don't have to think about it you know where this list is okay it's on my table all I have to do is walk to the table pick something off the list and start doing one of those things once you've done one and you don't feel quite enough yet do the next thing so it's through trial and error and I went through a big trial and error phase of like yeah. okay um, yeah for me it's like dancing and music yeah. but before that did I try other things but they didn't quite work so with advice that you listen to for the people that are listening it's about what resonates with you yeah if you go oh my god no way is dancing gonna help me like I'm gonna <laughs> freak out you don't need to do it you can try yeah but you don't need to and as you said you gave such good examples of like really healthy ways yeah cooking gardening pets yeah like that's just so beautiful and something that you touched on before as well with saying when I guess your body had said something's happening that's not right and then you grounded yourself and it might be okay I'm listening to this I need to go have a chat with my housemate and um that's something which I guess um can be referred to as boundaries um, and which is spoken about quite a bit um so how do you set relationships with yourself and how do you know when to push through and challenge yourself or when to give yourself a break so that kind of knowledge of what is a healthy boundary for you rather than I guess it becoming maybe avoidance related to anxiety um and when do you know when okay this isn't the time to push through I'm going to be kinder to myself yeah I think it does take that you need to almost go to both ends you need to know what I had to go from toxic productivity to burn out and cry every day and not do anything. No, like I literally did no work for so many months. And then was I able to be like, okay, I don't want to be in both. Neither of them serve me. Like I don't want to be in either, sorry. Like being, working every day and feeling like I'm not good enough if I do four hours of work instead of eight. Like, and so it's like knowing you almost have to, it's a trial and error thing, but I have, rough little boundaries for myself so for example I very intuitively eat I eat when I'm hungry but a boundary that I have with myself is you're having every meal you're having a breakfast lunch and dinner fair enough if you don't want snacks like if you're not hungry that day I want you to eat intuitively but you're not skipping breakfast and lunch because you intuitively weren't hungry yeah so it's like having those like simple simple boundaries for yourself and same with exercise it's like yeah I know that movement helps me but if I'm tired and I'm not feeling it, I'm going to completely accept if I have a rest day. Yeah. In fact, practicing rest days is what allows you to have them easier. I really used to not be able to have them. And now, honestly, I could have two weeks, no gym. I don't mind. Yeah. And like, that's that's the nice part of it. And I think what also helps is when you align with yourself, the more you take yourself into the present, like you have your morning routine and you make your breakfast and you're in a good place. When something you know, that could be a person, it could be a comment, it could be anything. When it comes up to you, you know if it doesn't align with you. You go, hold up, that that doesn't sit with me well. So you're able to breathe and be like, okay, what's the best way for me to deal with it? And speaking up is a really good thing to do. But one thing to know is you want to do it regulated. Yeah. So let's say I have like a thing with my boyfriend, like a little argument or something. I take myself out I do my breaths, I regulate myself so I can come back to him in a regulated state and talk to him like an adult, you know? Yeah. And that's the same with a housemate. That's the same with my mom. Yeah. And 
yeah, it's it's having those boundaries. Um, I think also my change of perspective with routines. I used to think morning and night routines were another way to be productive. I thought, oh, a 20 step morning routine. Yeah. That's going to make me earn more money yeah. and optimize my life. Now it's actually a boundary for myself. You will do a morning routine every morning so you can feel grounded and it's actually serving yourself. Yeah. My morning routine is for no one. Like it's not to be productive. It's to make me wake up and feel less like more grounded. I wake up, I brush my teeth, I do my gua sha, yeah. I maybe take a shower and I do some stretching and I make my herbal tea. And yeah. for me, that little setup wakes my mind up saying, fresh start, I've got your foundations. Yeah. So that's almost a boundary. And I notice like I have this thing and I know a lot of people will relate. When I'm in my depressive low mode, I don't brush my teeth at night. It's a way of like self-sabotage. Like I'm not gonna brush my teeth. Yeah. It's a treat. I, mean, I just don't need to do it, you know? Yeah. And a boundary I have to myself now is, no, you will. Yeah. You will because you are really... It's not a treat at all. It's not a, it's not a, oh, it's a win. I don't have to brush my teeth tonight. I'm just going to let myself off. I have a boundary with myself that I'm going to serve myself and I will look after myself and do that. So it's about just like, it's about serving yourself. 100%. And I think it's really interesting all the examples you used as well, because there's ones that will be universal that would be um, absolutely fantastic for everyone to have. And there's those other ones that feel like they've come from learning about you and where you're maybe more likely to push yourself and then noticing and then bringing back because you know that's a boundary for you and um, I think it's something that listeners could definitely get quite a lot from because they they could think about what are their own so what are their go-to behaviors or thinking that they maybe don't want to do as much and what's their boundary surrounding that and that is something that's quite personal which is a really lovely thing because you are working through that with you. Yeah 100% it's personal because well, everything I say on this podcast, disclaimer, is from a personal experience. Yeah. I am not registered at all. This is all from my personal ups and yeah. downs. One nice way to notice in your own personal world is, let's say, procrastination. Mm-hmm. If you are procrastinating for two hours on going to the gym, you probably really don't want to go to the gym. <laughs> and you're probably tired. And, you know, so it's like, okay, so I know that's not for me today. So it's like knowing where you're resisting. So if you're in a distraction mode if you're in a freeze mode if you're like what what's going on here that's your biggest indicators because mm. everyone is going to have different triggers and different things to help them but it's knowing when you come with that resistance that's like a really good like this is why i mean bad days are a good thing because yeah. you know what triggers you and then you it's like it's imagine having a portfolio and each bad day at the at the time you're like what the hell is this not needed but really they're just tiny lessons and you just put them in your little portfolio of Anna knows now not to film herself dancing. Yeah. Anna knows now that she needs to speak up when she's having a sexual relationship with a guy. Yeah. If not, she'll be triggered. Yeah. Anna knows now to tell her mum when she says something about her body and she really doesn't want it because if I don't, I'll be triggered. So it's like yeah. having this portfolio and you just learn every time you have a bad day, a bad moment. You, you learn something new, put it in your book and then follow that book. Yeah. Don't then put yourself back in that situation. It's, like, yeah. It is. It's, um, it's amazing as well because it just sounds like this, this like wealth of information that you've learned working with yourself and with a therapist. Um, and it feels like there's so much that you could say for this next and last question because of that as well, <laughs> um, which is what advice would you give to your younger self about looking after your well-being, looking after your mental health? Yeah, I think one disclaimer to start with is that if I did tell my younger self, 
she probably had to still experience everything yeah. to know this. But saying that, I'm about to share a lot of stuff. <laughs> One of them, I would tell my younger self, is you have a voice. And it's so important to use it. Because at the time, did I think, no, it's better if I avoid conflict and people please and let other people think they're right. And But no, every time you don't stand up for yourself, do you disregard yourself and make yourself feel smaller and more hurt? So as you go through the years, I've had to now unravel all of that stuff. I've had to spend my money on therapy to unravel the yeah. times where I didn't speak up for myself. And that comes in sexual experiences and that comes all the way to, you know, I had a dentist appointment the other day and he was saying, you know, I think you could like do some rounding on your teeth to make them a bit straighter. And like, normally I would just like, okay, yeah. And I'd either pay them to do that or just walk away and feel triggered the rest of the day. Yeah. I thought, and I was like, um, actually, I really don't appreciate that you feel like I need to change my smile anymore. And I'm actually really happy with my authentic teeth. Thank yeah. you very much. And that speaking up for yourself, that continual yeah. thing is so beneficial. So that's the first thing. Um, second thing I told myself is keep dancing. I definitely lost that. I didn't think it was a thing. I didn't realize that I was naturally a very active child and I didn't realize that was my way of processing trauma because I had already been through a lot. I was always bouncing on trampoline. I was always cartwheeling. I was always dancing. And I kind of lost that because I just, I don't know. I, I still did it, but in a very judgmental way. Like I did gymnastic competitions. Mm -hmm. I did dancing competitions, you know, and I, I, I changed my my trauma healing part into like another way to judge myself. So to actually keep some of those things just to yourself, um, I think is really good. Um, and that's just on a general of like, don't stop doing the things that make you feel good. If when you were younger, you loved coloring, start coloring again. If you loved being outside, you know, it's just like, it's always about what makes you feel good. I think now this is quite like a deep one, mm -hmm. but it's to really, you know, kindly say to my younger self, look, a lot of stuff has happened to you because she didn't know that. And she suppressed stuff. And she told herself for years that things didn't happen to her and that it wasn't a big deal. And like it was a really big deal. And it fed off to lots of relationships and and just ways that I lived my life. And if I could go to her and give her a big hug and say, baby, you need to go talk to someone or you need to go therapy or you need to... You need to just know yourself, yeah. you know, not even tell any other people, but you need to know yourself that shit happened to you yeah. and it's actually affecting you right now. And it would be really good. It, like you're allowed to express that. You're allowed to cry and and you're allowed to be sensitive. I grew up as a very sensitive child physically, like hypersensitive in my fingers and my sound and then actually emotionally sensitive, like really emotionally sensitive and although my mother's a lovely person and my sister's a lovely person, they didn't understand that because they didn't have that hypersensitivity. Did they slightly bash it a little? Don't yeah. be, no, don't be, stop crying. Stop being so silly. It's not a big deal. And to actually, I would tell my younger self, no, what you're feeling is absolutely okay, but I'm going to help you get into a safer place. So it's like, yeah, you're feeling really like every piece of clothing's itching you and you don't like it. That's okay. Let's go shopping and let's buy you some comfy clothes. Yeah. And the way that the most beautiful thing about this is there's no regrets because I can do it all now. Yeah. I can do it all now. I now go shopping for the comfy clothes that fit well for me and that's cozy and soft and I don't buy anything uncomfortable. I don't have to wear itchy bras. You know, you don't have to do any of that. And it's about doing that now. Yeah. So I speak up for myself 
now to speak up for my younger self. And it's about doing that stuff now, the stuff you would tell your younger self. And I think that's such a lovely way to look at it. Um, and that's something that I personally love for myself as well, that kind of, um, they call it post-traumatic growth. And all that simply means is where these things that have happened to you that have been really hard and weren't your fault, um, your growth through it, what has that given you? What have you learned? What's kind of the gifts from it? And that's how I like to see it. But for me, it came from that practicing to be able to even validate. So it was like compassionate letter writing. And the first time I did it, it was very unusual. Yeah. And then I started crying because I was telling myself it's okay to feel bad. And then it, gradually, bit by bit, that's become a much more regular thing that I do to connect with myself, to regulate myself um, and to feel seen and heard. And I think what our listeners um, will hopefully get, and I've got from from listening to you speak about the things that you do is that um, that's a really personal experience and through spending time with yourself, working out what's happened, how you feel, um, but not trying to change or control it, but allowing it to come out when it's safe and when it's right. And um, that's something that, like you said, it's just becomes in invaluable. Um, and you kind of just want to do it for the rest of your life then. It's just Honestly, really exciting. <laughs> I am so excited that I've come to this point now, even though so many years were lost. Well, not even lost, like they were just experiences. But yeah, for so many years, did I make decisions off what other people thought and what everything else externally. But I'm so excited that like, I'm 21 and I'm about to go live life every yeah. day. And even if I get into bad moments, that's okay. I can pull myself out. I'm so excited. And I think if that can shed any light to people that are in the bad place and be like, oh, so like, it does actually feel better. You do actually stop thinking about food. Wait, like you're not depressed and you don't think your life's like going to like whatever. Yeah. I think if I had, if a younger version, even just a year ago, heard my current voice and energy, would it be so excited? Be like, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because actually there were times where I questioned the process of all my therapy stuff. I'm like, oh my God. But, but not that big of a question. It's only a little bit of like, oh God, this is a really hard day. Is this even working? You know, whatever. But it never overrided the trust that I had in the process. And I think that's the biggest thing. You've got to trust this process that the work you do on yourself will, it will get better. Yeah. And it might take a year. It might take two years. It might take lots of years. There's lots of different layers to it. But, the, but I had so much trust in the process and my therapy. And I think finding a good therapist is, really important as well someone you feel safe with it's it's not about who's like I think everyone has different opinions of it but like when I did CBT it was not right for me mm. it's not right for me at all because they were trying to rationalize or something with my thoughts I needed someone to talk to me about the old past traumatic experiences that happened yeah. to me and I needed that to come out and then everything else fixed I don't mm. need to fix the okay just love your body it's like no let me let me fix who taught me that that was wrong or that my body wasn't good enough you mm. know it's that so I think finding the therapist that you feel really safe with and that you feel that you feel yourself opening up about deep stuff and they have that understanding. I think that is very important. Definitely. And I think it leaves um, our conversation on a really lovely moment of hope, which is, you know, to all of our listeners that if they're having bad days or they've had bad days, there is kind of light and hope ahead and that, you know, they're not alone in this. Um, you know, you're there, you're 
kindly sharing this with all of your supporters and there's lots of people that they might not know but are kind of sitting in it with them and, and holding that hope for them as well so um it's just been an absolute joy to talk to you today Anna um, and just thank you for being so open and honest for sharing your experiences of your relationship with yourself with us um and yeah it's just been an absolute joy thank you so much it's been so lovely just to have a open conversation with someone who also understands you know about this self-worth and inner child and traumatic experiences it really does help you kind of go in the flow because sometimes when you're like being questioned on it I'm like oh gosh like (laughs) yeah but yeah it's just so lovely um and what the mental health foundation you know we haven't really talked about the marathon but you guys not only gave me a place but a place to make a difference too and to be able to raise money for a really really good cause and to make a difference for me that was that was such a rewarding thing um and I just can't thank you enough and I guess that does make me want to squeeze one teeny last question. In. Um, but could you could you just tell listeners a little bit about your experience? So for everyone, this is um, we're recording this three three days yes. after Anna has done the London Marathon for the Mental Health Foundation. We're so grateful for it. But how did it feel? And how are you? <laughs> it was very emotional. I was very excited to start with first like 27, 30 kilometers went great. And then I hit a wall. And it was really hard. I was crying for like two hours in this race. I was judging myself at the beginning, which was interesting because I thought I had done a lot of work on judgment and now I'm judging myself for walking. But it was because I thought other people were judging me, which I think is always a great indication that you are just judging yourself. Yeah. (laughs) And the marathon was a healing thing in itself because as I was going through the race, I was like, you are only going to enjoy this process even though you're crying and you're in pain and everything feels like it's broken, you're only going to enjoy it if you actually give yourself permission to walk and slow down and do it yeah. at your own pace, which I thought was a great metaphor for actually life. Yeah. You know, go at your own pace, put yourself as the priority. You don't actually have to explain yourself to everyone. Like I wanted to tell everyone in the audience, not audience, like sidelines. Yeah. Um, Guys, by the way, like I'm really dying and I'm trying my best. And yeah. I've got a stitch, which is why I'm walking and not just I gave up. Yeah. But I couldn't. And all I could tell was myself. So I think that was a great little lesson. The two days after were low, which was weird because I was expecting to feel really, really proud of myself. But it was all just a blur after the marathon and my body was aching so much. I couldn't walk on the first day. I could half walk yesterday. Today I can 90% walk. (laughs) But now it's like feeling everything and... It's just been an amazing lesson and opportunity. So thank you. Oh, it's incredible. And just once again, thank you so much for joining us today.